0: morning, everyone. There you go. Father, we're blessed every Lord's Day to gather with other believers and worship you. I pray we wouldn't take it for granted. I ask that we would see it as the privilege that it is, Lord, understanding there are some who are less fortunate who face persecution to do so, or perhaps there's even physical, um, they're physically incapable of gathering. And so help us recognize the blessedness of being here. To worship you and to hear your word we do thank you for it lord we thank you for the sanctifying work it does in our hearts uh, to conform us into the image and likeness of, of your son i pray for any unbelievers who would be joining us this morning i, I think it'd be foolish to believe that every single person here is born again so we would pray for any unbelievers that today would be the day of salvation and that you'd be doing a special work in their hearts during the preaching of your word because we know that it's what provides the new birth I pray to rightly divide these verses i thank you for for them and the very unique window in scripture they give us into the next life and ask that you give us understanding i don't know everyone's familiarity we we know of heaven and hell but perhaps haven't uh, understood as or heard as much about hades and the two compartments in it and so give us understanding especially if it's something new lord and help me to speak clearly for your people and for your glory and i pray this in jesus name amen amen. The of this morning's sermon is learning from the rich man and Lazarus. So Sunday mornings we're working our way through Luke's gospel verse by verse and we find ourselves at Luke chapter 16 verse 19. A few things before we get into these verses. First, last week's sermon on Hades laid the foundation for these verses. So let me review a few of the points. Hades and Sheol are the same. Hopefully you remember this. And if any of this is confusing, please go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon. Hades and Sheol are the same. Hades is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Sheol. Hades is the temporary abode of the dead. And it contains two apartments, which we'll see, uh, or you just saw through the scripture reading. Believers find themselves in the place of comfort, also called Abraham's bosom. Or in the ESV, it says Abraham's side. And unbelievers find themselves in the place of torment does anyone remember when believers were removed from the place of comfort At Christ's ascension he took them to heaven with him unbelievers will be removed from the place of torment to appear before the great white throne judgment before the new heavens and the new earth are established second you might remember a few weeks ago that I told you that money is one of the themes of this chapter and this sets up the account of the rich man and Lazarus so notice this theme in verse 11 Jesus said if you've been faith if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust to you the true riches unrighteous wealth it's not immoral or sinful it's called unrighteous simply because it's the wealth that belongs to this life or that is earthly verse 16 or verse 13 Jesus said no one can serve two masters he will hate one love the other be devoted to one and despise the other and then says you cannot serve God and money because money can become our master verse 14 jesus said the pharisees were the lovers of money verse 15 jesus said that the pharisees justify themselves before men now verses 14 and 15 can look unrelated you've got jesus condemning the pharisees for being lovers of money and then he condemns them for justifying themselves but these two criticisms are related because jesus is because the religious leaders would use money to justify themselves justify means declared righteous and so they would use money or they would use their wealth to justify themselves or declare their righteousness to men they thought that money was a sign of what of god's blessing or god's favor that's exactly right and if they think that wealth or riches is a sign of god's favor or blessing then poverty is going to be a sign of what God's disfavor or or God's curse on a person's life. And so the wealthier the religious leaders look, the better they look. And this causes them to flaunt their money, to act extravagantly. And they would say things like, well, we have so much money because we have been so good and righteous. God is clearly rewarding us. Would we be so wealthy if we had not been or if God was not pleased with us? They also used this view to criticize people they despised, poor people. So they could look at poor people that they wouldn't help and say, well, God must not be pleased with them. If God was pleased with these poor people, then why would he be allowing them to suffer so much? He must be displeased with them. They are objects of God's divine disfavor, or else why, wouldn't, why would he allow them to be so miserable? And so the thinking of the day is that rich people are on their way where? When this life is over. Because, to heaven or comfort because of their uh, wealth and poor people are on their way where clearly to torment or to hell and that's the background or sets up jesus preaching this account of the rich man and lazarus and i think there's considerable blessing When reading God's word to understand the background to the verses we we can tend to look at accounts in isolation but if you if you consider just how outrageous this account would have been when Jesus taught it I really think it can be that much more enjoyable to us because we're reading it and we don't recognize the outrage that it caused among the people who are listening but it really was an outrageous account that he teaches here and I want you to notice that I'm repeatedly calling this an account versus uh parable because I'm convinced that it was literal these were literal individuals this is not a parable and this brings us to lesson one the rich man and Lazarus were actual people versus a parable the rich man and Lazarus were actual people versus a parable there are five reasons to believe this was an actual account versus a parable first most obviously it's never called a parable most of the time when Jesus preached a parable he identified it as a parable. Luke 8, 4, Jesus said in a parable, a sower went out to sow. Luke 12, 16, he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Luke 13, 6, he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Luke 14, 7, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. No mention in this account of it being a parable second if Jesus didn't say he told them if if it doesn't say he told them a parable then Jesus would frequently say the kingdom of God is like and then you know you're dealing with a parable well you notice in this account there's no mention of the kingdom of God being like third the characters in Jesus's parables are never named which allows us not to take them too literally or to view them fictitiously but in this account, we see at least two individuals who are named, and that's Lazarus and the rich, and the um, Lazarus and Abraham, which implies that they are real people. Fourth, this account doesn't fit the definition of a parable. The word parable is related to our word parallel because jesus would place an earthly story alongside a heavenly truth or heavenly reality jesus would use this earthly story to illustrate or teach or explain this heavenly truth or reality parables contain metaphors that illustrate the spiritual truths just if you consider the parable of the sower nothing in the parable of the sower is what it is (laughs) what i mean by that is the sower is christ the seed is what? It's not seed. It's what? The word of God on the soil is not soil. The soil is what? People's hearts. But in this account, everything is what it is. Hades is Hades. The rich man is the rich man. Lazarus is Lazarus. Torment's torment. Comfort's comfort. And Abraham is Abraham. There's no metaphors. It is, it is not preached or taught like a parable. It is taught like an actual account of, of these individuals finally some people disagree with my two compartment view of Hades that I taught last week to lay the foundation for this sermon and one of the people that disagree was one of my spiritual heroes John MacArthur and one of the reasons that I felt comfortable mentioning his name actually there's two reasons but one reason is that he I think you know there's nobody that I really think more highly of uh, spiritually speaking than John MacArthur um his views on this largely capture the views of those people who don't interpret this account the same way that i do and so what i'd like to do and i know many of you have his commentaries it's, i have you know the first commentary that i look at when i begin a new passage is john macarthur's commentary there's no commentaries that i've used as much in my preaching as john macarthur's commentaries but with that said his explanation in his commentary of why he doesn't hold to the same interpretation of hades that i do is is interesting and I'd like to take a look at what he said about it because some of you are going to read that in your Bibles but it also largely captures the view that almost you know everyone has that disagrees with my interpretation so I'm going to put up some there's going to be some slides that are going to come up that are going to record what he wrote in his commentary and then I'm going to provide a few comments on that and so first he says the imagery that Jesus used referring to the account of the rich man and lazarus paralleled the erroneous rabbinical idea that sheol which is the hebrew word for hades that sheol or hades had two parts one for the souls of the righteous and the other for the souls of the wicked separated by an impassable gulf now if i'm under if i'm understanding john he's saying that jesus taught this not because it's true but because it is the false teaching of the rabbis and that just doesn't make any sense to me why would jesus repeat a false teaching without any indication that the teaching is false why wouldn't he instead just do what just teach the truth and allow that to contradict the false teaching of the day he goes on he says but there is no reason but there is no reason to suppose as some do that abraham's bosom spoke of a temporary prison for the souls of old testament saints who were brought to heaven only after jesus had actually atoned for their sins now if you were here last week you know this is exactly what i believe right (laughs) so he's he's criticizing or he's he's uh disagreeing with the view that i preached last week he goes on okay whose phone's this we gotta get this thing turned off (laughs) I'm pretty patient with phones but that's fine you know I'm sure I'll probably turn my phone off at some point so next he says scripture consistently teaches that the spirits of the righteous dead go immediately into the presence of God and then he quotes or he references Luke 23 43 2 Corinthians 5 8 Philippians one twenty three. those are the three verses he provides to support his point and I want to briefly a look at these three verses that he provided so here's the three verses Luke 23 43 Jesus said to the thief on the cross a very well-known verse well-known account truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise and we talked about this verse last week and I am surprised that John mentioned it because he knows that Jesus did not go where when he died he did not go to heaven. We talked about this last week. He did not ascend until his ascension. We know that when Jesus died, he descended. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth between his death and his resurrection. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to the woman, don't cling to me This is after his resurrection he said don't cling to me for i have not yet ascended to my father so we have jesus saying after the cross that he had not yet ascended or been to heaven jesus also said in acts 2 27 you will not abandon my soul to hades or let your holy one see corruption so we have jesus himself saying that he was in hades following his death and there's no way would jesus be calling out to his father about his father leaving his soul in Hades if Jesus was in heaven. It just doesn't make sense. Jesus did not go to heaven until the ascension. And so to quote Luke twenty three forty three to support Old Testament saints or saints going straight to heaven when, when we know that Jesus did not go to heaven when he died doesn't, doesn't seem to work very well. The other two verses he quotes are similar second corinthians 5 8 yes we're of good courage and we would rather be away from the body in a home with the lord and then philippians 1 i'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with christ for that is far better now these two verses they do not argue against the two compartment theory they simply make the point that when believers die after the cross when paul wrote this they go straight to heaven which is what we talked about last week that when jesus descended he took captive those captives and i'm using that language because of the language in ephesians 4 and brought those captives with him captive to heaven and they're called captive because they were held captive in the place of comfort until christ ransomed them from there and then we believe that all other believers after that or during the church age when they die or when we die go straight to heaven and so 2 corinthians 5 8 and philippians 1 23 don't argue against the two compartment theory either John oh and the other reason I don't believe people could go to heaven before Jesus went to heaven or the other reason that I don't believe um, people could go to heaven before uh, the cross was Jesus himself said as much in John 3 13 no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man and so even Jesus himself said that nobody went to heaven before he did and if you're wondering about Enoch and Elijah you can go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon that's when we talked about them so John MacArthur concludes the presence of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration belies the notion that they were confined in a compartment of Sheol until Christ finished his work and then he quotes Luke 9 verse 30 and be which is regarding the transfiguration it says behold two men were talking with him Moses and Elijah the transfigurations in three accounts or it's in all three synoptic Gospels Matthew Mark and Luke and I read all three of those accounts and none of them state that Moses and Elijah came from heaven all three accounts simply state that the two of them were there with Jesus when he was transfigured and so if I'm understanding John he's saying that Elijah and Moses must not have been in Hades because they appear at the transfiguration but there's nothing in any account to imply that Moses and Elijah showed up at the transfiguration from Hades and second I don't know why they couldn't leave leave Hades to go be with Jesus at the transfiguration but they to me it would almost seem harder for Moses and Elijah to leave heaven to be at the transfiguration than to leave Hades to be at the transfiguration So John's main point against the two compartment, or main argument against the two compartment theory, is that Old Testament saints went straight to heaven. Now, wouldn't it be really great in this discussion if we could see even one Old Testament saint after he died and see where he went? Wouldn't that solve this for us? if we could find even one Old Testament Saint and see where that Saint went and whether that Saint went to heaven or Hades I'm really glad you guys asked that because we do have one Saint does anyone come to mind I bet I bet huh the prophet Samuel here's the context during one of Saul's worst moments when the nation's army or the Israelite army was out in battle Saul or he or they're about to go to battle saul decides to visit this this witch or this medium he did not want to listen to the prophet samuel when samuel was alive but he wanted to hear from samuel when samuel was dead and so because saul is terrified of this approaching battle and so he goes to this medium and listen to where samuel came from listen to where samuel came from first samuel 28 11. the medium said to saul whom shall I bring up for you? Saul said, bring up Samuel for me. Then it says, "What, what do you see? So Saul says, what do you see? The medium said, I see a spirit coming up out of the earth. Saul said, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up and so when the prophet Samuel spoke to Saul he said you have brought me up and as we studied last week Hades is down it is it is in the earth I don't even know that I fully understand that but we do know even from Jesus's language that that's where he was going that's where Hades is and so the point is repeatedly those phrases coming up out of the earth coming up bringing me up mean Samuel came up from Hades versus coming down from heaven and so I mention all that because we're going to be in this account for two or three weeks and I'm going to treat it like a literal account I don't see any reason to do otherwise and with that in mind go ahead and look with me at verse 19. and just let you know for your Bible reading it's not to say that every single thing in God's Word is literal but a general principle is that you take what God's Word says literally unless there's good reason to interpret it figuratively or metaphorically and I don't see anything in this account that argues in favor of a figurative or non-literal interpretation so verse 19. there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day now if you briefly look back to verse 14 Jesus criticized people who were what lovers of money do you guys see that and now is a we're seeing a premier example of a lover of money in this rich man two things are highlighted his clothing and his food let's deal with this clothing first have you noticed that rich people can be modest right perhaps there's even people that you learned that you knew that you learned were rich but you did not know that they are rich or wealthy before that because of the way that they lived or carried themselves they're very modest other people are rich and they want everyone to know that and so they flaunt their wealth, they dress extravagantly, and that's this man. He clothes himself in purple and fine linen, which were the most delicate and expensive fabrics in the ancient world. Does anyone know why purple cloth was so expensive? Do you remember Lydia was a seller of purple? Purple was so expensive, it's a supply and demand issue, I'm not making a joke, and something is considered uh, more extravagant the rarer it is, and it was hard to make purple because the dye came from, does anyone know? snails that's correct yeah the, the dye for came from snails so I guess if you killed enough snails you could get some purple and look rich so second it says he feasted sumptuously that Greek word for feasted it refers to a gourmet meal of exotic and costly dishes so it is a reflection of the excess of his lifestyle now most people most people in our day are not going to eat like this in every day but nobody in jesus's day is going to eat like this every day and many people would be fortunate to even eat like this one day and that would probably only be if there was a wedding that occurred in the town or village where they lived so most people would not even know this man's experience rarely that he knew every day now the poor man verse 20 at his gate was laid at the rich man's gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus and this must be one of the most miserable sounding individuals almost nauseating details given to describe this man his name's Lazarus it says he's covered with sores he sounds like Job he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover even the dogs came and licked his sores now to be clear this is not the Lazarus that's the brother of Mary and Martha that Jesus raised from the dead instead he's a beggar and the fact that he's laid at the gate versus walking to the gate himself implies that he's what he's what yeah that he's handicapped or that he's lame which would probably also be the reason for the the sores that he's experienced. And it doesn't just say he has a few of them but it says the sores do what to his body cover it his body is covered with sores probably from being unable to to move and have to lay in the same position all day these sores don't just spot his body but they cover it so his destitution is great but we see that did he want much did he desire much did he not really he didn't want to live in the rich man's house he did not want to eat at the rich man's table he seemed to want nothing more than to be able to eat their crumbs. Or whatever was left over after the rich man had eaten and so he almost looks like the prodigal son do you remember who was so destitute he wanted to eat what the pig food or the pods that were left over once the pigs had had finished eating and considering that he had this longing and it's a a greek tense that it implies a longing that continued or communicates a longing that continued implies that the rich man never gave him anything or the Lazarus's longing or desire would have ceased so he had this continual longing or desire because the rich man paid him no attention whatsoever gave him not so much as a crumb and notice the distance between them keep this distance in mind they're going to maintain a distance between them in their earthly life that then follows them into the next life they're close because Lazarus is at the rich man's gate Morrison said here are two men and day after day there is not the space of 20 yards between them yet a distance like the sea divides the two he means regarding their experiences and this makes the rich man look worse because or in other words Lazarus being so close to the rich man makes the rich man look worse because the rich man easily could have helped him but there's no indication he gave him anything he's incredibly selfish it almost takes your mind to the parable of the Good Samaritan and the rich man being like the the um, Levite and the priest who walked by this injured man without doing anything to help it says dogs came and licked his sores and there's probably a contrast here between the rich man and the dogs do you see it the rich man is so unconcerned about him but the dogs seem to show more compassion for him the rich man does nothing for him but the dogs come and minister to him seeming to pity him by licking his sores and so these two couldn't be presented more oppositely of each other the rich man's wealthy and opulent lazarus is poor starving and diseased but listen to this verse proverbs 22 2 the rich and the poor meet together where do the rich and the poor meet death the rich and the poor meet together in death maybe you've heard that before that death is the great equalizer and so these two are about to be to be equalized that's the case here look what happens when they die verse 22 the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to abraham's side or most translations say abraham's bosom so lazarus was so poor that there's no mention of him receiving what A burial and you say well maybe he received a burial but there's no mention of it that's pretty unlikely because in a moment it's about it's going to discuss the rich man dying and it discusses his burial if lazarus had received a burial there would have been mention of it what was it like for jews to die and be unburied i mean that was like a fate worse than death right there's there's little more dishonorable than going without a burial to the jewish mind (laughs) But there are two ways that lazarus is shown to be honored in this verse first he gets this escort by angels it says he's carried by angels it's not said of the rich man when he goes to the place of torment angels don't seem to carry the rich man to the place of torment and second it says that he's brought to abraham's side or he's brought to abraham's bosom now what does that mean to be by abraham's side or to be by abraham's bosom we can look at other places in scripture where something similar is said of individuals to understand what it what it means here so one other reason i take this account literally is some of the details are supported by other verses in scripture so what i mean by that is it discusses lazarus going and being with abraham well jesus said as much elsewhere listen to this matthew eight eleven. i tell you many will come from east and west and recline With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So we have Jesus elsewhere saying or describing what happens here being what happens with saints who die. In other words, when Jesus described the next life, he said believers would recline with the patriarchs like Abraham, like Lazarus is doing here. The phrase abraham's bosom this is the only place that occurs in scripture but it creates this very strong visual metaphor the imagery is of lazarus reclining at this table leaning on that's all right <laughs> a lot of phone action today <laughs> no problem we're, we're a family church does anyone else phone need to be turned off <laughs> i really hope my phone doesn't go off or that's gonna be really embarrassing don't and one of you kids might try to turn it on to play a prank on me or something like that okay so the imagery is of lazarus reclining at a table leaning on abraham's chest does anyone remember another individual who leaned on someone's chest or we see a similar someone leaning and yeah with john that's exactly right john 13 23 we see similar language one of jesus's disciples whom jesus loved am i the only one that kind of finds it amusing that john describes himself this way in the gospels john hey if you write your own gospel you get to describe yourself how you want and so john describes himself as the disciple whom jesus loved i mean that's almost like saying um, the disciple who's jesus's favorite so he says one of the disciples whom jesus loved referring to himself was reclining at the table at jesus's side or outside of the esv says at jesus's bosom the same is said of Jesus himself with his father in John 1 no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's bosom he has made him known and so having the position at someone's bosom or side is having that place of honor like Jesus with his father and so in other words we see Lazarus receiving no honor during life and the moment he dies he experiences incredible honor where he's brought to the side or the bosom of Abraham himself in the next life now the idea and just I want you to kind of picture the context for Jesus teaching this what do you think the religious leaders are doing while he is saying things like this I mean this is outrageous this is one more instance of Jesus causing them to hate him well I don't want to sound like I'm blaming Jesus for them hating him but this would be one more thing that Jesus would do where you could imagine the religious leaders hating him even more this would have sounded completely outrageous to the religious leaders and would have absolutely contradicted their teaching in that day about what happens to poor people when they die what's the only thing that might have sounded even more outrageous than what jesus said about lazarus what he says about the rich man look in the rest of verse 22. the rich man also died and was buried verse 23 and in hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and he saw abraham far off and he saw lazarus at his side or in his bosom and so you've got lazarus honored you've got the rich man dishonored and i want to remind you of something from last Sunday's sermon we looked at this verse in revelation 20 about the location of physical bodies and souls when people die revelation 20 verse 13 the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done and i told you this verse is about the location of, phys- of people's physical bodies and souls when they die if you ever wondered before and i've been asked this what is the moment someone i think one of my kids asked me the other day what is the moment that someone dies well biblically speaking it's the moment the soul leaves the body so i remember i was talking to sterling one time who's a nurse and he talked about brain activity and heart activity but if you want to know biblically speaking the moment someone dies it is when the soul leaves the body regardless of what's happening with their brain or with their heart so the soul and the body are separated at the moment of death hades is the location of people's souls after they die but not the location of their bodies in other words hades is the location of the immaterial part of our being while our bodies or material part of us is somewhere else so in this morning's account we know the rich man's body was buried we're not told what happened with Lazarus's body but we do know that neither of their bodies were in Hades at this time and it was the same with Jesus we read last week that he went to Hades when Jesus went to Hades where was his body still in the tomb right his soul remained separated from his body until that glorious Sunday morning of the resurrection right what was the resurrection it was Christ's soul re-entering his body and then him and then him physically exiting the tomb now back to the account the rich man finds himself separated from Lazarus and this is interesting the rich man is separated from Lazarus and do you see why that's super fitting because isn't that pretty much exactly what he wanted during his earthly life and now that same desire is carried on to into the next life although his location is said to be far off he was still able to lift up his eyes and see Lazarus and the next verse says that he was even close enough to be able to converse with Abraham we'll see a conversation between the two of them in next week's sermon but they're a world apart regarding their experiences there's a complete reversal the rich man immediately went from a life of comfort and pleasure to misery and suffering Lazarus immediately went from a life of misery and suffering to comfort and pleasure and I want to ask you to keep two things in mind from the beginning of the sermon the poorer people were the worse they looked to the religious leaders and it's hard to imagine anyone looking poorer than Lazarus which means it's hard to imagine anyone looking more deserving of torment in the next life than Lazarus the religious leaders would look at Lazarus and say if God favored Lazarus why would he allow him to live such a miserable life second the wealthier people were the more righteous they looked to the Pharisees and it's hard to imagine anyone looking richer than Lazarus which means it's harder to imagine anyone looking more deserving of heaven than the rich man if God favored the rich man why did he allow him to live such a pleasurable wonderful life and this brings us to lesson two wealth and poverty are not signs of God's favor or disfavor wealth and poverty are not signs of God's favor or disfavor did I say if God favored the rich man did I say that backward if God didn't favor the rich man excuse me why would he allow him to live such a pleasurable life that was the thinking of the day with the religious leaders lesson two wealth and poverty are not signs of God's favor or disfavor it's very possible to look at this account and draw some unbiblical lessons that it was never intended to teach for example it'd be very easy to look at this account and say that Lazarus went to heaven and other poor people will go to heaven because they're what because they're poor because God feels sorry for them it'd be very easy to look at this account and say the rich man went to hell because he was rich because he was selfish you know one of the reasons we know even from this account that rich people don't go to hell or rich people don't always go to the place of torment who was in the place of comfort with Lazarus who was also very wealthy during his earthly life it's interesting because abraham was a very wealthy individual and so the account itself while seeming to argue these unbiblical lessons that i'm trying to dispel us from believing actually argues that rich people go to the place of comfort as well if they are people of not wealth but faith turn to luke six twenty. since we're in luke's gospel i thought we could look at a few verses that'll help us ensure we're interpreting this account correctly Luke 6 verse 20. Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God so you can look at this verse you could combine it with what happened with Lazarus and what could you say Oh yeah, poor people are blessed. It is a wonderful thing to be poor because they get to go to heaven. But this verse is not about financial poverty. What's it about? I was going to the sermon. Huh? This is about spiritual poverty. Listen to how it's worded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the you guys know this, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. We're talking about spiritual poverty. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Everyone is spiritually poor and that we're all sinners. Who have nothing of spiritual value with which we could earn or deserve heaven there's nobody who is spiritually richer than anyone else the people who are blessed are those people who recognize their spiritual poverty here's a here's a nice way to say it considering the account we're looking at the blessed people are the people who know that they are like lazarus not financially but spiritually the way lazarus looks financially if you recognize that you look that way spiritually that you have nothing with which you could deserve or earn heaven then you're blessed because heaven belongs to those types of humble people repentant people who look to christ to be saved because they know they cannot save themselves we always want to look at scripture in light of scripture and the rest of scripture tells us that we're saved by grace through faith not by works and so even though this account doesn't tell us about Lazarus's faith and sometimes I could wish some things were worded a little bit differently or say hey why isn't there any mention of Lazarus's earthly life and the faith he had that would make it clear that that's why he went to the place of comfort we know from the rest of Scripture that he must have been a man of faith but there's almost a way in which it's implied that he's a man of faith because when he died he found himself where with who? With the father of faith and to be with abraham the father of faith implies that you are a person of faith as well and what's really interesting when is it harder to have faith when we are what because we might wonder does god not love us is he not good when we're suffering right can you imagine i mean this is a this was a real person this is not a parable there was a man named Lazarus who lived and experienced what he experienced that kind of misery having to be carried around by people in an already incredibly difficult world the misery that he experienced yet he still kept his faith in the Lord he still trusted him when I'm sure that it would have been very easy to do what with God instead what Job's wife told him to do what curse curse god and die i mean you can almost imagine the people that are carrying lazarus around and saying why don't you just curse god and die i mean for him to allow you to to live like this how could you have faith in him so to me lazarus doesn't get a ton of attention in scripture he's only here in a few verses in this account but he is a hero of the faith and i'm you know i can't wait to to meet him someday to have kept his faith when he went through so much was an incredible testament look at verse 24 you're in luke 6 still look at luke 6 24 woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation now you can look at this verse and you could look at what happened with the rich man and you could say oh yes rich people are cursed because they're going to suffer torment but this is talking about people not financially rich but people who think they are spiritually rich or think they deserve to go to heaven because they have been good enough so even though the account doesn't tell us that the rich man lacked faith he must have lacked faith or he would not have been brought to the place of comfort or torment the fact that he finds himself in the place of torment tells us that he was an individual who lacked faith and probably it's not too much to say that his lifestyle indicates he's an unbeliever right even if we're not told that he's an unbeliever we just we just ascertain that from him being in the place of torment you can tell by the way he lived his earthly life it is very hard to reconcile his lifestyle with the lifestyle of a believer or someone who has turned turned to christ In faith so lazarus was not saved by his poverty any more than the rich man was condemned by his wealth instead lazarus was a believer and the rich man was an unbeliever and this brings us to lesson three the rich man and lazarus encourage us to focus on the next life and then you can turn to second corinthians 4 we won't turn back to luke turn to second corinthians 4 Why are you turn that wasn't that a really wonderful devotional for communion I don't, I might not say that enough but I really appreciate that where's Phil right now I really appreciate that devotional Phil it really encouraged me thank you for the time you put into that the rich man and Lazarus are on opposite sides of this spectrum you have the rich man experiencing great prosperity you have Lazarus experiencing misery because he's, they're almost do you see how the rich man and Lazarus are almost like bookends on human experience well here's the thing whichever bookend you find yourself closer to or whichever bookend you identify with most or in other words whether you're prospering or whether you're suffering and probably most of us would say we go through seasons of prospering and seasons of suffering both of these individuals or both of these extremes or both of these bookends still have the same encouragement for us to look to eternity to keep an eternal perspective to focus on the next life I think it was Jonathan Edwards had made I'd shared this one time in a sermon that he had made kind of these creeds for himself or these determinations he had he had determined to think about certain things every day and you know one thing that Jonathan Edwards was determined to think about every single day his death he determined the one thing nobody wants to think about right i mean talk about keeping an eternal perspective jonathan edwards woke up every day committed to making sure that day he thought about his death which is really to say thought about the next life and whether you're prospering like the rich man or suffering like lazarus lazarus you should still focus on the next life so if your life is good or your life is bad think about eternity the temptation is to let our prosperity distract us from preparing for heaven listen to this verse that describes the rich man James 5 5 you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence hopefully the Lord wouldn't say this about any of us you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter and that's the rich man he's like the rich fool in Luke 12 who lived only for this earthly temporary life he did not think about eternity and so he did not think about God and so he spent eternity in torment and separated from God now maybe you feel like you identify more with Lazarus you're suffering could be physical could be mental could be emotional could be spiritual and even just keep this in mind because if you're not suffering now you can you will at some point look at second Corinthians 4 verse 17. for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison am I the only one that reads this verse and thinks that Paul says something that sounds like it's minimizing our suffering well what did he say in this verse that sounds like he's minimizing our suffering hey what are, I mean imagine counseling someone and they're going through something terrible whether it's a physical disease or the loss of a loved one and you look at them and say hey I want to encourage you it's just a light momentary affliction would they go oh wow thank you so much for telling me that I feel so much better <laughs> basically you're saying hey look it's it's not that bad what you're going through? No, and the person's like, it is really bad. I'm like, no, it's not bad. It's not that bad. You think this, but it's really not. You're okay. It's not a big deal. You would never you t- you counsel people not to counsel people like that, right? The trial you think is so terrible and excruciating, hey, it's just light. It's just momentary. It is just light and momentary. It really isn't that bad. In light of what? Eternity. As soon as an eternal perspective is adopted it is a light momentary affliction look at verse 18. as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are seen or temporary or passing but the things that are unseen are eternal and notice the repetition of the word eternal eternal weight of glory things that are unseen are eternal the theme is having this eternal perspective and that's what allows every trial to be viewed as a light momentary affliction so here's what's interesting we should all remind ourselves i'm preaching to myself do you know i don't know if you know this i never want you to think and i know i might i don't know if i'm running a little short on time but i'll pretend like i'm not <laughs> i never want you to think that when i'm preaching up here that i'm not preaching to myself i can only hope that someday i'd be able to live up close to the standard that i'm expected to preach but i don't know that i'm i'm being honest with you i'm just being real transparent from one i don't know that anyone can preach and not feel like a hypocrite how could anyone preach God's word and not feel like a hypocrite to some extent? You're constantly preaching things that you don't live up to. You're constantly preaching God's word, which sets the standard of perfection that nobody reaches. So never look at me and think, this is me preaching to you without preaching to myself. I need these same gospel encouragements constantly too. And dealing with suffering, it doesn't have so much to do with how we view our suffering as it has to do with how we view our suffering eternity as we suffer it's so easy to focus on the pain of the present but we should focus on the joy of the next life and what would have what would have shockingly allowed Lazarus to have laid by that gate with some joy the thought of the next life that's it what else could he draw he couldn't even have crumbs from a man's table the guy doesn't even have crumbs to eat where could he find any joy for that miserable life he's like the new testament job except that he thought beyond this life to the next life and let me conclude by having you look at verse 14. knowing that he who raised the lord jesus will raise us also with jesus and bring us with you into his presence and for believers this is the beautiful hope of the next life we have a glorious future with Christ. Like Lazarus, all of our suffering will be over. We will know peace and comfort. But for unbelievers, like the rich man, what is the sad reality for unbelievers? Their suffering never ends. If they believe they experience suffering in this life, it pales to, in comparison to the suffering of eternity, which never ends. And so if you've never repented and put your faith in christ let today be the day of salvation for you after service we're gonna have a wonderful baptism and after that if you have any questions or i can pray for you in any way i'll be up front father i thank you so much for your word thank you for this unique insight into the next life and i know i shared uh, a view of hades that isn't held by many uh, wonderful men men i respect like john macarthur if i said anything that isn't true i pray that your people would be spared from that but if what i preach was the truth lord i pray they'd hear it as though from you because it is your word and what you would say lord regardless of what hades is or isn't like we know there's comfort or torment for those who are in christ comfort for them and torment for those who are out of christ and i would just ask Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not in christ who hasn't repented and put faith in him that you would convict them even at this moment while i pray about coming to salvation and being right with God. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.